So we're in 1 Timothy 5 and 6 today. Just kind of an overview of those two chapters to complete this book in 1 Timothy. <clears throat> After I moved to Salina back in the 80s um, to be a first-time first youth pastor there in, in my ministry, I uh, left a lot of things back behind in my hometown house, uh, including all my belongings and, and such. And, and I remember uh, calling my mom once on the phone, hey, uh, um, remember those basketball, baseball, football cards I collected? Do I still have those? Uh, and when I went home for Christmas vacation that year, they were nowhere, nowhere to be found. They weren't where I had stored them in the closet. They weren't in the attic, basement, anywhere. And my mom said, I must have thrown them out with other stuff of yours. And I thought, no, no. I had literally these cards and many more like that. You know, Wilt Chamberlain, um, Pistol Pete Maravich, uh, just on and on. I had Lul Cinder, O.J. Simpson. Um, needless to say, I was bummed because my childhood treasure was gone. Hmm. Until a few years later, when my mom called me and said, oh, by the way, John, I found all your cards in the attic in this big green plastic garbage bag. They weren't thrown out after all. And I thought, oh, man, this unexpected treasure was returned. And so I still have these today. On my 17th birthday, uh, I met my dad out on the sidewalk and in the street down the block was a parked this car, a car like this, green 69 Dodge Charger. He handed me the keys and said, happy birthday. I said, oh my word. I wish I still had this car. I wish my mom had put that in a green, large, <laughs> put it in the attic. Unfortunately, it rusted out and it's gone for good. We love to receive unexpected treasures like this. They fill us with joy. But as Exciting as it is to receive these unexpected blessings on earth, they will pale in comparison to the unexpected blessings we'll receive in heaven. These treasures promised to us in heaven because we've lived our lives on earth for Christ. Jesus put it this way, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. He should have inserted like 69 Dodge Chargers. And where thieves break in and steal... But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Well, a compliment to this would be in Paul's letter to Timothy when he wrote to him in chapter 6, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And I, th I thought to myself, well, well, fortunately, I won't have to worry about this because I'm not that wealthy. However, if we were to shrink the United States down, or I mean the, the world population down to a village of 100 people, then what would we find there? We would find 57 who were Asian, 21 Europeans, 14 from the Western Hemisphere, North and South America, and 8 Africans. We'd find 52 females, 48 males. We'd find 70 non-whites and 30 who'd be white. We'd find 70 non-Christians and 30 who would be Christian. 
We find 80 who would live in substandard housing, 70 would be unable to read, 50 would suffer from malnutrition, one would have a college education, and only one would own a computer. If we have food in our refrigerator, clothes on our back, and roof overhead, then we would be wealthier than 75% of the world. If we have money in the bank, money in our wallet, change in a dish somewhere, then we would be among the world's 8% wealthiest. So, we are rich, and what do we do with our wealth? 1 Timothy 6.18, command them to do good and to be rich, rather, in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Prior to Paul's instruction in chapter 6 to Timothy, he wrote in chapter 5 specific ways that we will store up our treasures in heaven. We'll do so in three ways. We'll store up our treasures in heaven by investing in the most vulnerable, by investing in Christ's church, and by investing in our vocation. This is what Paul lines out in these two chapters. First, the most vulnerable in Paul's context, would have been the widows. As we invest in the most vulnerable, we'll store up our treasures. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Women in the Greco-Roman world in Paul's context, they would have had few rights. A father could sell his daughter into slavery as a concubine under religious sanction. She would have been regarded as nothing more than a piece of property. Widows especially had little value. They were really good for nothing in that culture. But we read in verse 5, The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. How does God typically answer prayers? Through his body. When we want something, we go to the refrigerator, open the door. Thank you, hand. Thank you, arm. We grab something. Thank you, mouth. And we feed our face. The Lord, our head, utilizes his body, his arms, and his feet to be the answers to prayer and to meet needs. So we read in chapter 6, verse 18, Command them, those in the body, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Now, if family members were in close proximity to widows, then the responsibility to meet their needs would have landed squarely on the family members. Chapter uh, 5, verse 4. If a widow has children or grandchildren, they should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We can't forget about our loved ones, our grandparents, great-grandparents and parents. Where there are no family members present, though, the responsibility landed on the family of God. Verse 3, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. He's speaking to the church. I love the fact that we have a widow's ministry at Countryside. I don't know, 15 or 20 widows meet together on a twice-a-month basis. 
They care for one another, especially during the pandemic. They would call each other and really care for one another. They're active. They're servant-minded. They're not no-goes or slow-goes. They're go-goes, these women. But occasionally, there may be some specific needs that they're unable to, to meet themselves. And so that's when the body of Christ steps in, especially the deacon ministry. And we can say, hey, we belong to your family as well. And those who are faithful to care for the most vulnerable, including widows, will surely receive great reward. Jesus said in Matthew 35, speaking of the rewards day, he said, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. Jesus said, I was sick, and you looked after me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Come, take your inheritance. We store up our treasures in heaven by investing in the most vulnerable. Secondly, we store up our treasures in heaven by investing in Christ's church. There are only two things that will last for eternity. People and God's word. Only two things on this earth will last. The rest will decay and rust and be gone, burn up. People and God's word. When we invest in people, we're investing in things which are eternal. Um, Tonight we'll be investing in that which is eternal by taking the living word of God, Jesus Christ, to the people of our community, showing them the love of Christ through our trunk or treat right here in the parking lot. Uh, The candy will be fun, but it's the relational connection that will be invested for eternal purposes. It's the love of Christ through you as you come with your car or truck, decorate it, and hand out candy. Your presence will convey the love of Christ for eternal purposes. So be in prayer tonight if you're unable to come, that we represent Christ to these 400 or 500 community children. You also care for Christ Church by caring for the pastoral staff and the leaders, as Jeremy just gave testimony to, uh, who seek to equip and empower the body of Christ, namely Christ's ministers, to do the work of ministry uh, for the kingdom of God and the world. Chapter 5, verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Uh, Some of you have been here as long as my wife and I and our family arrived here um, in, what was it, 2006. And you've been here. You've been committed to this church. You've been committed to us. You've encouraged us. You've, You've blessed us in many tangible ways. And I want to thank you for your consistency for persevering in a church like this, even with uh, pastors and staff who may fall short. In fact, cartoon by Joe McKeever, a woman was greeting the pastor after church saying, all my life I heard pastors say that they were sinners, but you're the first one that I believed. (laughs) So thank you for believing in me. Um, I really mean that sincerely. Um, And some of you are new and have been here ever since you've been here, and you're consistent here too, so thank you for being a part of this church. So we store up our treasures in heaven by investing in Christ's church. And then finally, we invest 
um, we store up our treasures by investing in our vocation. Now, there's a difference between our occupation and our vocation. Our occupation is simply our job, our work. Our vocation is our calling. Vocation comes from vocal or vocalize, calling. Uh, God calls us. He's called us to a specific ministry when we are, belong to him. So we can use our vocation, we can use our occupation as a platform to fulfill our vocation. Or we, or we could just do our occupation. Um, my Swedish immigrant grandfather uh, came here in the early 1900s, and I was supposed to put Grandpa Gus' picture up there, but I forgot. But that's his name, Gustav Karl Yelm, a Swede, uh, came here um, with his wife. And they, they had three little girls uh, when they were like age one and two, two twins, and my mom and her sister, and then a sister. Uh, my grandmother left my grandfather and ran away with a uh, trucking tycoon who started the Werner Trucking Company, but his name in Sweden was Werner. So my grandmother ran away and, uh, with him and abandoned my grandfather and her three daughters, um, his three, their three daughters. And, and so uh, my grandfather was like destitute. He didn't, know, he didn't know what to do. He worked in this factory. He barely spoke a lick of English, um, he, but he providentially worked right next to another Swede who was a Christ follower. Um, and so this Swede used his occupation in the factory as his vocation, and he was the presence of Christ to my grandfather, who was hopeless at that time. And he shared Christ with my grandfather, and um, my grandfather repented. He came to Christ, began a relationship. As a result, he put my, his three daughters, my mom and sisters, into a Christian orphanage called Cromwell Covenant uh, children's home. That's where we ended up being covenant. Um, I, I serve a covenant church today because, um, and, and I'm a pastor today because there was this Swedish immigrant himself who used his occupation as his vocation and led my grandfather to the Lord. I don't know who, what his name was, but let's just call him Werner. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, and so every believer is called to do so, to be salt of the earth and light in the world. Now, Paul goes on to speak about slavery because slavery was a common occupation in Paul's day, unlike what we think of when we think of slavery. Paul said, chapter 6, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect. But slavery was not Again, what we think of, it wasn't really a racial thing, and it wasn't always forced labor. Uh, many in the Greco-Roman world enlisted as paid slaves. For example, household slaves had it better than other slaves who were forced into it, and uh, sometimes they received an income and they could buy their freedom eventually, um, and their independence actually. Uh, and they, they counted themselves more uh, fortunate than uh, the peasants who were out there starving to death without jobs, well, at least they had a job and they had housing and they had food on a consistent basis. Not to justify slavery, but it was more common back in Paul's day. Um, in fact, they say 50, 60, 70% of those in the Greco-Roman Empire uh, worked as slaves. So Paul instructs the slaves and, uh, that all who are under this yoke of slavery consider their master's worthy of respect, so that the na God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. 
Those who have believing masters should not should show them I'm sorry, should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Paul's instructions to the slaves could um, translate into words for us as employees as well. Some Christian workers can take advantage of their bosses who are also Christian brother or sister. And they can, you know, be, work less or, or not work with as much excellence because, hey, he's my brother, sister is my boss, and we're buddy-buddy. Um, and Paul said, no, you should work hard at your place of employment. Um, others may have complained about unfair bosses who are unbelievers. And so he, he said in verse 2, instead they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So slaves even work harder for your believing masters. And in so doing, we will store up our treasures in heaven. Paul said in Colossians, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance, a treasure from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. But Paul elsewhere offered instructions not only to the slaves, but also to the masters. He said in Ephesians 6, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect. But then in verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. He was saying, that this was radical. This was unheard of in that culture. Masters ought to treat their slaves in the very way that slaves were expected to treat their masters. This would have stood out like a sore thumb in that culture. Only with Paul do we see this radical instruction, namely that masters were to do the same as slaves. Revolutionary. And just a side note, in Bible Interpretation 101, once again, many Christians throughout the American history, and actually world history, would have taken scriptures like this from Ephesians and Timothy and justified the institution of slavery. You see, right here in the Bible, people say, I just read it right here in the Bible, brother. Right here, it's right here. You know, slavery, masters, slaves. And I'm, I'm thinking, all right, well, is this prescriptive for every, everyone for all time, that we should justify slavery? And we think, no, of course not. This is speaking to a specific situation uh, and reality of Paul's day. He's speaking into the culture they're living in, but not to justify slavery, of course. His message rather was of the gospel of Jesus Christ who died and rose again to reverse the curse of things like the institution of slavery so that in Christ there's no longer masters over slaves. There's no longer Jews or Gentiles. There's no longer male ruling over female. And so we see the same thing in chapter 5 that we saw in chapter 2 when Paul was dealing with women. And we use that passage sometimes as being descriptive. Women cannot be leaders in the church because it says women must remain silent here. No, Paul was speaking into the specific culture so as to not disrespect the gospel. He said, don't overstep your boundaries here. But God's plan of redemption was to take that which was a curse and then give more and more freedom of redemption to the day that he returns in the same way that slavery is no longer thought of as normative. Uh, 
So we ask, we ask ourselves once again in chapter 5, like we did in chapter 2, is this prescriptive for all people of all time that we should have slaves? And the answer is, of course not. Um, and so that was just a side note. Um, so how do we store up treasure in, in heaven? Let's end where we began with Paul's warning. Chapter 6, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You've seen these bumper stickers that says, no God, no peace. No God, no peace, right? Spelled differently, N-O God. If you have no God, you'll have no hope. But if you know God, K-N-O-W, then you will know peace. You'll know hope. And this is what Paul's saying here. Put your hope in God. And this is why we receive our rewards one day in heaven. Not because we're doing good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. It's because we know Christ. And as a result of that relationship with Christ, the natural outflow is to serve him and one day be rewarded. It's the spirit within us that does the good work. Don't put your hope in wealth like so many do in America. Some of the wealthiest Americans can testify to this, who've put all their eggs in the prosperity basket. Like Vanderbilt, we've all heard of Vanderbilt, who said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. We've all heard of John Jacob Astor. I'm the most miserable man on the earth, he said. We've all known John D. Rockefeller, who said, I've made millions, but they have not brought me They brought me no happiness. And we all, of course, know Henry Ford, who said, I was happier when doing a mechanic's job. We hear testimony after testimony. We see Hollywood actors who are wealthy and professional athletes who are not living for the Lord, and they're miserable. Paul says, don't put your hope in things of this earth like that. But place your hope in God and store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich rather in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up their treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So we store up our treasures in heaven by investing in the most vulnerable, according to Paul, by investing in God's church, and by investing in our vocation. I'll just end with this story that you may have heard of before. His name was Henry Morrison. He and his wife served as a missionary in Africa for 40 years. And upon their retirement, they hopped on their ship with all their earthly belongings, and they returned home. Will anyone remember us? Will anyone recall who we are? Will anyone meet us at the boat? To their delight, when they're pulling into United States Harbor, wherever that was, They saw a large crowd there. They saw banners saying, welcome home. There was even a band of musicians there playing music, and they were stunned and they were humbled that they would be welcomed with such regality like that. So they went downstairs to their little cabin, and they got their luggage, what they had, and when they walked off the ship onto the land, they discovered that the band was gone, the banners were gone, and the the crowd had thinned out. And it was then that they realized and heard that Without their realization, President Teddy Roosevelt was also on board with them. It was, th- it was he that they were there to meet and celebrate. So Henry Morrison went to the hotel room with a heavy heart. He sat, sat there on the bed and he asked his wife, Honey, 
I just don't get it. For 40 years, we poured our lives into ministry and service, and yet we come back to America and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. His wife sat down next to her husband, put her hand on his shoulder, comforted him, and with words that he would never forget. Henry, you have forgotten something. You are not home yet. May that be a comfort to us. What we do for Christ on earth will not be forgotten. We may not receive many rewards for what we do with our blood, sweat, and tears serving the Lord. But he says, you're not home yet, child. Your treasure is awaiting you in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you have you are preparing something great for us, for those who love you and serve you faithfully. Oh God, may we continue to persevere, even if it's not recognized like we think we should be. Um, may we continue to work for you, Lord, as we invest in your church, as we invest in the most vulnerable, and as we invest in our calling, our purpose, our vocation. Lord Jesus, may we bring honor and glory to your name. May, may it even begin tonight in our parking lot as we do trunk or treat. May your presence be felt and known uh, throughout this community because of the love of your people. We pray in Christ's name, amen.